Well, take your Bibles again, turn to Psalm 136. Those who have been around covenant for, for the last 15 years plus know that uh, I have a, a personal tradition, and that is around Thanksgiving to preach sermons about Thanksgiving. And, uh, and so that's what I'm doing. And so far, the elders have not said to don't do that, and so I'm not, not doing that. And, uh, and so uh, here we are in Psalm 136. Next week, we'll be looking at another portion of Scripture concerning thanksgiving as well. You know, it's, uh, there's a good reason that the Lord has put psalms like this in the Psalter, as well as passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's a tough one, isn't it? What we just read. Give thanks. You say, well, that's not so hard. I know we should give thanks. Yeah, but in all circumstances, that's, that's, that's tough. And so the Lord tells us to do it because he knows we won't be inclined to do that. We'll, we'll want to complain and, and grumble and murmur and fret. And sometimes we have to be reminded that we're supposed to give thanks in everything, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't feel good to give thanks. Well, let's, uh, let's read Psalm 136, together, follow along as I read out loud God's inerrant word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
to him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Zion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray now that you would cause your word to rest in our hearts, to permeate our whole beings, that we might grow in grace, that we might know you, the one true God, and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for that is eternal life. And Father, if there is any in this place this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, has not already tasted of his steadfast love that endures forever, we pray that you might work that wonderful work that only you can do. And we will give you praise for your steadfast love. In Christ's name, amen. Paul Tripp is probably a, a name that's familiar to several of you. Uh, this is not an endorsement of everything Paul has ever written. I don't know anyone that I could do that for. But, uh, but on this particular point, he does a, a, uh, a wonderful thing. It's an excellent point. It's a biblical theological point. Uh, after years of counseling and writing counseling books, uh, he came to the conclusion that uh, Christians, and all people really, but Christians particularly, because only Christians can really do this in the, in the, in the proper biblical sense, that for our well-being, everything hinges on how thankful we are. his conclusion that anxiety, the answer for anxiety is thanksgiving. The answer for, for the other word that anxiety stands for in the Bible, worry, is thanksgiving. When we don't know what's going to happen, 
and we're fretting about it, we should give thanks to the Lord and let that replace our fretting. And I think he's right. How often do you find yourself when you're in the middle of some trial or tribulation and it's just really hard to thank God, but the moment you stop and say, you know what, there's a whole lot more to be thankful for. You know, earlier this year when I was going through one thing after another health-wise and, you know, I'd go to the doctor and I didn't often go to the doctor's office very thankfully. I don't like doctors. That's not true. I like doctors. I, in fact, love doctors, particularly, you know, we've got doctors in the room. I love you. I'm very thankful for doctors. But, you know, you don't often think of that as you're going to the doctor. You're fretting, you know, wonder what my blood pressure is going to do. You know, I've got the white coat syndrome. You know, they slapped that thing on my arm and my blood pressure at home was 122 over 69. I get in there, it's 176 over 85. You're like, what? Why, why do I like these people? They make my blood pressure go up. But then as I leave the doctor's office, or as I sit there in the room and I see other people who are far sicker than I am, who are leaving with little or no improvement, or maybe less hope than they had when they went in, and all of a sudden I get in the car and I can be so much more thankful. Why is that? Well, it's because the object of our thanksgiving is not always front and center. We become front and center, and when we're front and center, it's hard to be thankful because we're so us-focused, so me and myself-focused. Well, I think Tripp's right that uh, the antidote for so many maladies in our lives Today is Thanksgiving. Just stop, step back, start making that list. What are the things to be thankful for? The psalmist seems to be doing that right here. He's just recounting all the things that he is thankful for. And, we, and it, it doesn't take a, a biblical scholar to recognize what this is all about. It begins with the very word, give thanks to the Lord. And then it ends. It's got those bookends, as we say. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. And in between, he gives us all those reasons for giving thanks. And the first one, the first and the, the overarching one, the dominant reason for giving thanks to God is because of his covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word that most Westerners can't say properly because it, it comes out of here and it, it causes spit to fly. And so we, we can't say it very well, but we just try by saying hesed. And if we want to really try, and a lot of Hebrew professors make you, make you embarrass yourself in class by trying to say it properly out of here, we get it hesed. 
See, I can't do it even when I'm trying to do it. Various translations in your English Bibles. I was reading the English Standard. Steadfast love is the way it's translated. The New American Standard translates it in the 1977 and 1995 translation works. Loving kindness. The loving kindness of God. The New American Standard 2020 translates it faithfulness. All of those have the present enduring, enduring tense going. It's not something that's incremental with God. It's not something that's, that's he's steadfast here and then he takes a break for a while. He's steadfast again. Oh, we went through a bad patch. He wasn't steadfast in his love. That's not the picture that's painted. It's, it's this ongoing, never-ending. It's a straight, hard, black line of steadfast love, of faithfulness, of loving kindness to his people. That's the first thing. And that's, as I said, that's the overarching. He says it over and over and over. You can't miss it. You know, supposedly, you know, if seven times is supposed to make stuff stick, it's something of a memory device. Well, he gives us steadfast love endures forever several more times than seven here. Thankfulness. We're called to thank him for his steadfast love. And so as we think about his steadfast love, think about it in two, two aspects. First, the eternal aspect, and I've just alluded to that. It has its beginning in eternity, right? I mean, it's part of who God is. He is, he is a God who covenanted from eternity. You say, well, that's not forever. I mean, at some point it had to begin with God. Well, then you don't understand God if that's the way you think. But that's, we think that way sometimes about God because that's the way we are. And we tend, to, we tend to make God in our image, right? So since there's a point in time when I didn't know certain things, and then it, it, I knew it, and it, from that point, then it goes forward. And we tend to pitch that back onto God. But that's not the way with God. God is eternal and every thought, every, every inclination, everything, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his electing mercy, his steadfast love is a part of who he is. You remember his... His name, Moses, who do I tell them sent me? Tell them that I am sent you. I am. Not I was, but I am. Not I will be, but I am. That's who God is. Everything that we run across in 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 space and time, in temporality, was forever in God. 
Never had a beginning, never changed. He'd be a changing being if that were the case. But he's not a changing being, he's God. So we look at the eternal aspect, and if we can't be thankful for that, what can you be thankful for? That God is God. And we live in a world where we're not God. And that's proven to us every day. Because we, we want to control things. I just glanced up and saw Brian Moody. I'm thinking about the trucking industry. And I'm just thinking about how many things every day go on in his life where he was like, oh, well, that's not what I planned today. Didn't plan for that to happen. Didn't plan for that. But with God, everything, everything that he planned happens. I mean, it's just that's the way it is. There is no changing, no variation in God. Because he's in control completely. He is sovereign. I was so thrilled this week. Here's an aside. Excursus, sorry. <clears throat> Secretary of State, State of Georgia was interviewed on the firing line. I don't know some of y'all may have seen this. After talking about, you know, both sides of the aisle. You know, some, you know, against you in the state of Georgia, voter suppression. You actually believe that voters ought to be who they, who the, who the lists say they are. So you think you ought to be able to identify them. Well, this side of the aisle says that you're oppressors. You're suppressing voting. The other side says you wouldn't change the results of an election. So you're fraudulent. You were an engineer before you became a politician. What, what makes you keep doing this? That's what she asked him. You know what he said? Because I believe in the sovereignty of God. And she, Margaret, they had the camera fixed where you could see both faces at this moment. Often it's panning back and forth. You could see her kind of, oh, didn't expect that one. And he went on to say, see, I believe that God put me in this job. And if God put me here, I'm going to stay and do what he put me here for. Because I can't let men determine what I do. Only God can do that. See, when you understand that God is eternal, that his steadfast love endures forever, that's the way you live. I don't know this fellow, but I like his theology. He's right. There's, there's, you see how that then trickles over into, there's the abiding aspect of this. It's not just, you know, we tend to think, don't we? Being, being creatures here on this earth, we tend to think of eternity in two directions, past and future. I'm right. You do. I do. That's just our tendency. But one of the things the pastor's class folks know, some of you remember from sermons, 
That's wrong. And that's not what you get from this pulpit. See, when you think that way, then you don't understand John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Then you have to think, if you think in those terms, you think, well, everlasting life is, I trusted Jesus today, I get to go to heaven when I die. And then all of a sudden you get this big gap in here. Eternal life is eternal. Eternal is past, present, future. All at the same time. So there's not, when we think of God's steadfast love as a reason to give thanks, we don't just think, well, yeah, he ordained this to come to pass in the past. I'm thankful for that. And it's going to all come to pass eventually in the future. I'm thankful for that. But right now, man, this is tough. And all of a sudden, we can't be thankful for the now. We can't be thankful in all circumstances. Because all of a sudden, we've, we've wrongly defined eternal as being past or future. And eternal is who God is, and he is the great I am. So there's the eternal, but there's the abiding aspect of the steadfast love. Remember what I said earlier. Steadfast love doesn't have any skips and hops in it. It's just a constant. Eternity is a constant. When we grip that, when we're gripped by that, then we're mindful of the abiding aspect of it. And we're mindful that, that we have a helper in the midst of this, and it's the Holy Spirit. And so... The steadfast love of God is producing in us love and joy and peace. It's producing in us patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And that's all part of the abiding aspect of his steadfast love. So his covenant love produces thanksgiving in us. And when we properly understand and think about his steadfast love, then we can be more thankful. And we can be thankful all the time, even in, in difficult times. And some of you all have been through difficult times. Some of you are going through difficult times. Some of you live in difficult times for various reasons. And yet God would have you be thankful. Knowing that, hey, this didn't just happen to me. I think of this often. James Montgomery Boyce, back in the pulpit, after being diagnosed with, with liver cancer, after being diagnosed, he lived about uh, three months, I think. And standing there in 10th Presbyterian Church, he said, I want you to understand that I haven't just preached the sovereignty of God to you all these years. I believe it. And I believe that the very best thing for me right now is cancer. Cancer.
if that were not true, then God wouldn't have given me this. But he gave me this right now because this is the best thing for me right now. But when you understand the steadfast love of God endures forever and in all circumstances, then you can say things like that. Second, I have to move on. We're called to thank him for his creation. That's those next verses, five through nine. Look at it. To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over day. So now he breaks down the making of the great lights, the sun and the moon and the stars. But creation should be a great source causing us to give thanks. Last night we had several of the the yaks to the house. The announcement was out. If you weren't there, you missed it. It's not on us. It's on you. Uh, It's been in the bulletin. It's been announced. Apparently, ten folks did get the message. So those who missed it missed a grand time and lots of good food. You miss seeing some people make pigs of themselves. I have some pictures. One of the things we were doing was just talking about Thanksgiving. Things we're thankful for. And do you know, uh, some said they were thankful for Covenant Presbyterian Church. Probably my presence there caused them to think that. They thought it would sound good. But you know what most pit put down? Creation. Particularly fall. Apparently, folks like fall a lot. The colors, the leaves on the trees. Now, some of us only think of fall as a precursor to cold weather, and so it's harder for us to be thankful. But creation, God's creation. There is no reason for us on any given day not to be thankful when we live in a region of the world that is as beautiful as this. Our friends came down from Grand Rapids a few weeks ago. Ron Camiga and Rhonda and their friends, John and Val. John travels, he flies everywhere he goes for his company in their their little jet. And he said, this is one of the most beautiful places I fly over anywhere in the country. He's right. There's no reason for us not to look around and be thankful from the springtime with the new leaves and the flowers and the shrubs to the summertime, to the fall, to the winter. Oh my goodness, when I think of driving up in Michigan in the winter, why would I want to do that? Or Wisconsin or North Dakota, South Dakota, 
Now, those folks are fine. I love them. But our winters are so moderate compared. We should be thankful for that. So that when, when you're fussing about being cold, and I probably will before too long, I have to remember to be thankful because it could be a whole lot colder. I could be having to plug my car in, the engine in, so it doesn't freeze up. Creation. But notice it's not, he doesn't just speak to the past creative events, those, those eight fiats that, that we read of in, in Genesis chapter 1, those historical events. He also talks about the abiding nature, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. Notice the ongoing aspect of this, but he's, he's not talking about an ongoing creation. He's talking about an aspect of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars. But they're not the ones that rule over creation. This is just the, this is just the, ant, the imagery that the psalmist is using. The God who made the sun and the moon and the stars is the one who rules over the day and the night. And he brings us back to that, doesn't he? For the steadfast love of God endures forever. But God uses his creation. We should be thankful. <coughs> he uses his creation. So we give thanks for God's creation. And when we think of God's creation, we have to think of the role of the of God the Father in creation, the role of God the Son in creation, the role of the Holy Spirit in creation. All three are attributed with being creators in that event, as well as sustaining all things. So the triune God is at work, having made all things, now sustaining all things by his great providential hand. And then third, the psalmist can't leave this out, the bulk of the chapter, beginning in, chap in chapter 136, verse 10, is about redemption. It's about grace. And so he moves to Egypt, moves to the Exodus, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he did this. To him who divided the Red Sea and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people. So it's not just the, the redemption aspect of his graciousness, but also the ongoing work of God. How often do we wrongly think of grace as just something that took place back there when God saved me from my sins. And it becomes a past event instead of an ongoing event, an ongoing outpouring of God's favor toward us. And here the psalmist doesn't have any of that in his mind. He understands it's all of grace. When he says he made Israel pass through the midst of it, he overthrew Pharaoh, he led his people through the wilderness. You remember what Paul does in Galatians chapter 5? He calls us to walk in. And the preposition here can be translated variously. Walk in by with the Spirit. 
The point is, is the Spirit is the one who's guiding us. The Spirit's the one who is the, is the great parakletos who's walking alongside us, giving us our direction, nudging us this way when we go that way and back over this way when we go that way, keeping us from falling off in the ditches of this life. He's leading his people. And he wants us to understand this is all part of his steadfast love toward us. Did you, did you get it as we read through? Everything God does toward his people flows out of his steadfast love. It's not happenstance. It's not serendipity. It's not, in, it's, it's, he's in control. He's at work. He struck down great kings. I think of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. You know, he, how, does, how does Christ execute the work of his kingship? Well, he, he subdues us and draws us to himself. And then he says this, that he restrains and conquers all of his enemies and ours. That's what the psalmist understood, isn't it? The steadfast love of God was on exhibition when he struck down the mighty kings. And then he gives some examples, Zion and Og. And then what did he do? He gave their land as an inheritance to his people. You have to think of those covenant words, those covenant promises that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit a little strip of land somewhere. No, the whole earth. That's what it was emblematic of. The whole earth. The glory of the Lord. He's, it's his sanctuary. And it's all ours. You say, but we've, we're kind of time bound. We're kind of spatially bound now. Yeah, but we won't be one day. The new heavens and new earth. That's what's coming. That's what every little thing pointed us to in the Old Testament. Every little thing pointed us to the big thing. The temple of God. The sanctuary of the Lord. The new heavens and the new earth. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that very thing. That the land is right now groaning, looking forward to our redemption, the adoption, our bodies being restored. And then the whole earth will be restored. And the psalmist is getting at that. He gave their land as a heritage, a, herit a heritage to Israel, his servant. You remember, you remember how... Paul says it in Romans 8, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Everything is Christ, y'all, not just some little plot of land someplace. Not your little plot of land, not a nation someplace, but the whole thing is his. And we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That's remarkable, isn't it? 
Can you not be thankful for that? Sure we can. We're called to be thankful for for his creation. We're called to be thankful for his grace. And his grace includes everything. Did you notice that? How comprehensive his grace is here. He delivered them. He redeemed them. And then he gave them everything that they needed. We so truncate grace sometimes to think that it's just about the salvation of our souls. But it's about ultimately, yes, the salvation of our souls, the salvation of his people, but it's about the salvation of all things, the restoration of the whole thing. What he began in the garden, he brings to fruition in the consummation with the new heavens and the new earth. And so then how does, it even includes food. He gives food to all flesh. It's remarkable. And then he ends with this short little, okay, I've given you plenty of reasons. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He doesn't even seem to think he's got to argue the case, does he? I've said plenty. Who I am, what I created, and who I redeemed and what I've redeemed. It's all reason to give thanks. So this week, we're going to go and we're going to be thankful for our families, and we should be. I hope you're in a situation where you can be thankful. I know our children in this church can be thankful for their families. We'll certainly be thankful for food, whether we have little or much. We'll be thankful. But let's not forget that it's the steadfast love of God that's behind the family and the food. There'd be no family or food but for the steadfast love of God enduring forever. And ultimately when we say that, we're saying we're thankful for God. We're thankful for God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Because he is after all, the one who is steadfast love. Father, thank you for these wonderful reminders. We pray that you would give us thankful hearts this week and every week. And if there's any here who, who can't be thankful, we pray that you would, you would give them good reasons to be thankful. You, they'd see in the, in the salvation of these people out of Egypt, the deliverance, they would see Christ Jesus, the Savior of sinners. And they'd be drawn to, to be able to live a life like this, thankful for steadfast love that endures forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.